Dearest Heavenly Father, you have asked us to enter your courts with thanksgiving, enter your gates with praise. But unfortunately for many of us, this is not an easy time of year. For many of us, we find ourselves unthankful and in pain. And so, God, I pray that you will be with us this morning. As we come to you, I pray that you will hide me, God, and somehow speak through this service to what is happening in our lives. In your name, amen. There's probably something you've figured out about me already, and that is I love being a father. It is fantastic. Um, the media team was harassing me, and yes, I'm using that word correctly. Before first service, when I said I had one slide, and they said, oh, a picture of your children? No, but you can't blame me. It is wonderful being a father. And what is even more awesome about that is it gives you a picture of how the God of heaven must feel about us, how proud he is of us. Emmett, to say he's learning to talk would be a vast understatement. He talks nonstop. Well, I shouldn't say that. He does stop when he's asleep. But you know he's awake because you can hear him talking. And you know he's asleep because he's stopped. He loves to talk. He even talks about the fact that he loves to talk. And he's got quite the vocabulary, too. We were sitting at supper the other night, and he pipes up in the middle of our supper as we're trying to get bites in between words. He says, Arlo is pulchritudinous. <laughs> yes, that is a real word. To understand how we got to this point, I should tell you a little bit of something about me. I married up. My wife is significantly more intelligent than I. She no doubt knows this because she is smarter. I married up, and she's a fantastic teacher, and so while I am gone, she teaches him words. She teaches him all kinds of things. But it is embarrassing when you have to slip away from the dinner table to look a word up that your two-year-old has used. Pulchritudinous. I put it up there so that you could look it up. <laughs> because I have a feeling there might be some of you who don't know. But as you're teaching your child to talk, you have to be really intentional about it. You have to teach them what to say when, how to say please, how to say I'm sorry, and how to say thank you. And some of those, it gets a little bit tricky because sometimes they're not sorry. Sometimes they're not thankful. 
Sometimes we're not thankful. Sometimes we find ourselves in the throes of thanksgiving and we're not thankful. We're going through pain in our own lives. We're going through loss. We're going through hurt. And we find ourselves going through the motions but not at all being thankful. Thanksgiving has this way of bringing that pain to the surface year after year. Whether it's a loss that you've had and you look at that empty place at the dinner table or whether as parents you're shuffling your kids from home to home working out those arrangements. Thanksgiving and Christmas have a way of bringing that pain back year after year. Things that you thought you were done with are there again. And so we find ourselves struggling to be thankful. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, starting with verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Maybe Paul didn't realize what 2017 was going to be like. With storms, with shootings, with tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, maybe you don't get it. And we have a tendency when we come across things like this to try to rationalize it and try to say, well, maybe that's not what Paul really meant. I'm sorry, it's, it's hard to read it any other way. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. Three times he says all. He's not hemming and hawing here. He's to the point. Maybe, maybe Paul didn't understand pain. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, as he's defending his ministry, shares a little bit of his story starting with verse 24. Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's no question Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul knew pain. 
And as I look out at this congregation, I see many of you who know pain. You know what I'm talking about. You've had one of those years. You know the pain I'm talking about. The pain that just turns your world upside down. The pain that pulls the rug out from underneath of you. The pain that catches you off guard. Where your mind shifts into overdrive as you are reeling, trying to figure out how you could have done things differently to avoid this, what went wrong along the way. You struggle to fall asleep at night because your mind, it doesn't shut down. And you wake up at two in the morning and instead of rolling over and going back to sleep, your mind takes off. Trying to understand how you ended up in this place. The pain that you push below the surface and just the wrong combination of words brings you right back to that moment. Just the smallest thing. I remember some years ago I was going through one of these situations in my own life and trying to get through it in the depths of that pain I I was going to meet some friends for pizza, and we went out to a restaurant, and because I am stressed out being late, I arrived 15 minutes early to make sure that nobody was waiting for me because I am stressed out by being late, but I'm not stressed out about being awkward. And so there I am waiting, and some people walked up, two guys who I had met once in my entire life. I did not even remember their names. And they looked at me and they said, hey, How are you? I was not prepared or equipped to deal with that question at that time. And so my response is I just burst into tears. That did not make it less awkward. (laughs) As two strange men who I did not know their names were hugging me outside of a pizza place in Redlands, California. But we all know what I'm talking about. And this isn't just something that we put off until we're older. The children at Ruth Murdoch, they know what I'm talking about. As you talk with these kids, they've suffered pain at too young of an age. And this time of year, It seems to bring it all back. It's kind of like after you've been in a car accident, getting in to drive again. Every single car being afraid, oh no, is it going to happen again? I can imagine that's how Noah felt. In Genesis chapter 9, Noah and his family have come out of the ark. And their world has been turned upside down. They have lost everyone they know. They've lost everything they had. Their home, nothing. Nothing is the same. 
And as they're trying to process this, as they're trying to get through it, as they're trying to figure out where do we begin, I can only imagine what it was like the first time they saw a rain cloud. They'd only seen it rain once in their entire lives thus far. And that turned into quite the flood. And here they are, and they see a rain cloud. And with that, God gives a beautiful promise in Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 12. God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature and all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God gives us this promise. This promise in the rainbow. This beautiful promise, but it's more than just a promise that he won't destroy the earth with flood again. Because, you see, the rainbow is mentioned three times in the Bible. First time here, of course. The second time is in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, Ezekiel has a vision of the throne of God, and it reads, Like the bow in the cloud on a rainy day, such was the appearance of the splendor all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And then John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, reads, And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. The rainbow is not just a symbol that God will not destroy the earth with flood again. It's also a picture of his glory that surrounds his throne. What I love about rainbows is you don't get them on clear days. Rainbows come with rain clouds. Rainbows come with storms. And so, here is a promise that when there are storms in your life, God is in the storm. When there are problems in your life, when there is pain, God is there with you. So how do we rejoice always? How do we give thanks in all circumstances? Because the God of the universe is there with us always and in all circumstances. I enjoy camping. But I enjoy real camping, not Michigan camping. And I get harassed about this at camp meeting every year because my wife and I, we stay in a tent, whereas everyone else seems to get an RV. 
There's a couple reasons for this. First of all, I'm cheap. But second of all, we really enjoy staying in a tent. We're weird like that. And so every year, it seems that there's a storm that comes through camp meeting. And usually in the midst of that storm, as I'm laying awake, watching the tent blow this way and that way, I get a text from Rodley asking if we need to come stay in his RV. And text back, no, thank you. We'd get wet if we left our tent. But I remember Emmett's first year at camp meeting. And there we are in the tent, and the wind is blowing. And this is a tent that's tall enough I can stand up in. But the wind is blowing with such ferocity that as I'm laying on my back, the tent is right here in front of me. And Emmett wakes up in the midst of this storm, and he's terrified. So I go over and I get him out of his pack and play and I'm sitting there holding him in my arms. And what I love about that moment is as he's there in my arms, everything is again okay. God is this kind of father. In the midst of our storms, he's there. When I was living in Loma Linda, California, I got a headache. Now, I am want to get headaches. I've suffered with migraines my entire life, but this was a headache like no other. Because all of a sudden, there was this searing pain, and it only happened when, like, I looked in the peripherals, either to the right or to the left. I got this instant pain which I said, okay, I'm just going to look straight ahead, and if I want to see something over here, I will turn. This seems... But our eyes, they don't work that way. We don't actually have control where our eyes look because as you're driving down the road, when a car passes you on your right or your left, your eyes dart over there to check it out. When they see movement, they, they look. And so you'd be driving down the road and just pain, pain, pain. And so I thought, well, I... Hope this goes away because I'm not the type to go to doctors. But I went into work one morning and I realized my vision had gotten a little bit blurry because there, the computer screen right in front of me, I could not read a single word on the screen. And so I thought, oh, I probably should have this looked at. And so I went into urgent care there at Loma Linda and they had a look at me and they said, no, no, no. We're not dealing with this. You go to the ER. And so I went to the ER, and it was a long wait, to say the least. I think it was about nine hours before I got from the waiting room back to my own room. And they started doing all kinds of tests. Loma Linda is fantastic at doing tests, and they did a series of tests to try to figure out what was going on with my head and with my vision. At one point, they thought it was a brain tumor, and they ruled that out. And they couldn't figure it out, test after test. Finally, they decided we need to check his spinal fluid and see if there's too much pressure in his brain, so we're going to do a lumbar puncture. And they came in and woke me up at 3 in the morning to stab me in the back. And they had me bend over the bed there. And it was the most painful thing I had ever felt in my entire life. Just pain seared through my body. And I said, mercy, 
And they said, oh, no, no, that's just the anesthesia. <laughs> the most painful thing I had ever felt in my entire life is what women do to avoid the pain of childbirth. So take that into account. I was told between services that if it's done correctly, it's not supposed to hurt that bad, but... They couldn't figure it out. All the doctors in Loma Linda couldn't figure out what was going on. And so they sent me home. I had an appointment a few days later to go to the optometrist, and I went in, uh, ophthalmologist, not optometrist, and I went into the ophthalmologist, and I, when I would stand up, I would get nauseous. Ophthalmologists are not used to nausea. And so... When I started throwing up in their office, they called the ambulance. Even though I was exactly across the street from the hospital, they insisted that I take an ambulance. I said, no. And so they had me sign a waiver that if I were to die between their office and the hospital, I would not sue. <laughs> it's a sobering thing to sign. But I signed it, and I walked across the street, to the emergency room yet again. And I've just been told that I could die before I was able to cross the street, and here I have to wait another nine hours. <laughs> and then I heard a voice. The triage nurse was actually a friend of mine from college. I couldn't recognize his face, but I recognized his voice. Under three minutes, I was back in my own room. But when I heard his voice, I broke into tears, which apparently is the theme of my life. They never figured out what was going on with my headaches or my vision. It got better. It's been 10 years now, and there's been no problems. But we have these storms in our lives. We have heartache. We have pain. And God sends rainbows to remind us that in the midst of the storm, He is there, and He's not only there, He's on His throne. God sends strangers to hug us. God sends college friends to triage us. Look for God's fingerprint in the middle of your pain. In the midst of your storm, look for God's hand. Because I can assure you, church, that's where God is. Over and over again is it a theme that runs throughout the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the God of the universe. The God of the universe who speaks things into existence, He is in your storm. The God of the universe who can walk on water, who can speak to the wind of the waves, He's in your storm. The God of the universe 
the God of the universe, who understands your suffering, who died on the cross for you. That same God, he's in the storm with you. It's a church family. If you're wondering how you're going to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas this year, if you're dealing with pain and loss, because the holidays have a way of bringing those things back up year after year, I invite you, look for the rainbows and know the way that we can rejoice always, the way that we can give thanks in all circumstances is because the God of the universe, he's right there with us.